Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode is available in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to help you purchase the music you hear on the show. And you'll find a membership option if you'd like to join and support the show. The honest truth is that the Jazz Session will only be able to continue if I can begin to turn this show into uh, at least a, a marginally profit-making enterprise. And so I think I need about 100 members in order to uh, to make it sustainable, at least in the short term. You'll see at thejazzsession.com slash join that there are membership levels as low as $10 a month. Uh, there's also a yearly membership for $110 a year, and it goes up from there. And there are various uh, ways of thanking you at the different levels. And so I urge you to join and help keep the Jazz Session coming. Uh, it's in its third year now, more than 700,000 downloads, more than 200 episodes. And I would like it to continue for years and years to come. But that's only possible if you become a member. So please uh, do that, and thank you very much. My guest today is Mario Pavone. He's got a new record with his uh, band Orange Double Tenor. It's called Arc Suite, Tipai Tipo. And it begins uh, with this tune called Continuing. My guest is composer and bassist Mario Pavone. He has a new record with his band Orange Double Tenor, uh, and it's on Playscape Recordings. It's my pleasure to welcome Mario to the show. Thanks for being here. My pleasure, Jason. Mario, the very first thing you can help me to do is uh, figure out how to say the name of the record. The first two words, Arc Suite, I can, I can handle easily, but uh, then what follows I'm a little confused about. T-Pi, oh, T-Po. And what does that refer to? It really refers to nothing. The arc suite is is referring to the arc of my life and uh, the 45 years in doing uh, music. And uh, the T-Pi, T-Po is, is, is graphic. I often title tunes and albums based on how the letters look and how the music feels to me based on the look. So, so it actually has no literal meaning but, but a visual meaning. Does some of that 
that visual sense, uh, does that spring from your photographic work, or is that what informs your photographic work? I think work? so. I think it's in general from the art, from, from the artwork, absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, uh, the uh, the first part of the title, Arc Suite, um, is a reference to just how long you've, you've been in this music, and... Um, I guess maybe the first thing I'll ask uh, before we start kind of maybe looking back a little bit is to talk about um, the Orange Double Tenor Band, which uh, which adds mm-hmm. one more person to the quintet you had on the last record. Right. Uh, can you talk a little bit of, uh, about this band and, and why this particular ensemble was, was what you were hearing as you were getting ready to record this record? Right. Well, it, you know, it, it, it's just an arc suite is a new work and, and also possibly a summary of my work, certainly in the last decade. And... Uh, I put out an album in 2004 entitled Orange, and like as you said, last year's uh, double tenor quintet ancestors. And by combining the two, I realized six people comprise uh, a good 95% of the work I've done in the past 10 years. So I was fortunate to have a core group of player improvisers doing my music, and and I also lucky to to have the same continuance going on with with these players so that's kind of what led to this summary orange double tenors combining uh the trumpet with the tenors and mario will you just tell people uh, who's on this album uh tenor saxophonist tony malaby and jimmy green uh trumpeter dave Ballou, uh great pianist who's been with me since almost all my cd since 94 peter madsen and uh, Gerald Cleaver on drums. Uh, will you talk about uh, Peter and, and how you two first met? He's just uh, incredible on this record, and uh, I'm less familiar with him than with the other players on the album, I have to be honest, uh, and I'd like to know more about him. Yeah, he's he's an incredible player. One of the reasons maybe you're less familiar is he divides his time between New York and Austria. He is married to an Austrian woman, has children there, and so he, he splits his time between the two. Uh, you know, Peter's experience is full gamut. He spent a year touring with Stan Getz and uh, another year with uh, Fred Wesley and Pee Wee Ellis of the James Brown Horns and uh, and many people in between, Don Cherry, John Abercrombie. He's played with everybody and uh, uh, actually the late Thomas Chapin who I spent a decade working with uh, uh, introduced me to him and thought he'd be just right for the music and turns out he certainly was 16 years since we did the first album in 94 uh, for new world a song for septet so he's he's kind of uh my altar voice i would say he's he's just quickly interprets what i write and, and puts it in context and how much when you have a relationship that's that's lasted that long, um, I imagine that the, the the personal aspect of it must really inform now how you write for Peter, just someone you know that well and have been working with that long. There must be something, it must go beyond the music now that you, as you work together. Or maybe not. Well, I think so. I mean, we're good friends. I feel close to all these, these, these uh, five other uh, players. Uh, as I say, it's been ten years and, and, and we, we spend a lot of time together and traveling together and touring. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I do. I do. I write for him in, in, in a personal way. I just know, almost know, where he's going to go. That, that his range of, of feelings, from blues to to very angular, you know. 
Perhaps this is a, a stereotype, but I usually think of uh, one of the particularly close relationships in a band being that of uh, the bass player and the drummer, and certainly Gerald Cleaver is, is one of the great players um, on the scene today. Can you talk a little bit about what you look for uh, in someone who's going to play drums with you? Yeah, you know, I'm, I will tell you one thing. I'm not so focused on drummers and have never been in my whole career in the sense of exactly being able to delineate what I want from them. I just know it when it's there. And I've had a great relationship with several drummers, Michael Serene and uh, uh, George Schuller. Um, uh, but uh, Gerald is, you know, the, the word... Uh, uh, generous, I think, comes out. That's what I think of when I when I think of him. He's just he's just there for you. He he's, he he uh, plays off and against what I'm playing all, all the time. And so and you know it's just a it's a generosity of spirit that he's giving. You have somebody giving to you. Uh, it, it's it goes beyond the actual notes and, and the actual uh, rhythms. I'm interested in that that idea of delineating roles uh, for players. Can you talk a little bit about, um, I guess, what the players received where this music is concerned? I mean, there's obviously a lot of stuff that's, you know, closely closely written, and there are sections where people are playing together, you know, in, in counterpoint right. and unison. Right. But can you talk a little bit about how you mix that freedom and composition together? Yeah, I, you know, uh, I think the heart of it is that if you listen to, when listening to this music, I, I think almost all of the uh, eight or nine albums in this last decade, 2000, 2010, uh, the rhythm section is actually at the heart of, of the music. On this uh, orange double tenor, there are three or four pieces, literally, where the actual melody is being played by Peter and I, and, and the rhythm layout is being done by Gerald, and what the horns are doing is actually all around it, and it's the way it's the way I write, it's the way I hear I hear it. Uh, so I think that's at the heart of it. That the fact that the rhythm section it's a little bit like an upside down cake. The rhythm section is really 
And so it, it becomes a little disconcerting sometimes for the listener, I think, who's expecting to hear horns playing a melody atop a rhythm section. It, it's somewhat reversed, I think, those roles. And therefore, does the compositional process kind of work in reverse, too, where you write the parts for the, the core of the band first, and then you fill in the space around? With yes, the exactly, Jason. I do. Uh, the music, I write the music on the bass first and uh, until I have it all down, and then maybe go at the piano for a little bit. But uh, I'll write it. I'll actually write the bass part and think of the music as coming from the bass and then the piano next and the rhythm will, will fall in based on that melody. And then the last thing really is is uh, the color. I'll, I'll call it the color for the horns. Uh, that's how I think of the, the, the written parts of those pieces on the new album uh, as, as, as almost color and then immediately to soloing and that's where the three horns get a chance, I think, to play more linearly because they're 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 playing they're not playing uh, um, a continuum melody in those pieces. They're they're really uh, I, the, the 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 piano and bass are streaming forward across a horizontal plane, I guess you could say, and and the horns are up and down above and below it. Mario, do you have any idea where that that ensemble conception comes from? Where you're concerned, is that something you've taken out of experiences you've had, or just something that occurred to you I, one day? Or? I, I, let's see. I, I don't know. I, I mean, my early work with uh, the late Bill Dixon, who recently passed away, and um, and Paul Blay, uh, much of it had that 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 aspect to it where. Uh, uh, it, the, the, the bass and, and the trumpet, and, and, and in one case, and the bass and the piano, and including the drums, were were really dialoguing together. So, but I, I really think it it comes about because uh, if I'm a bass player, and some bass players write very conventionally in terms of the bass's role, but it, where it maybe has been in the music. But to me, um, if I'm going to write the piece, it's it's going to come from the bass. And and that's really dictates that it's almost like the bass is it's not so much that I'm playing a lead or the melody, but uh, you know if this is a composition written by me, I'm a bass player. So the bass that's that's how that's come about really very organic. <laughs>
Yeah, and it's interesting that you say it that way. Uh, I've talked... I forget who... I think it was maybe John Patitucci that I was talking to who was uh, Mm -hmm. commenting on the role of bassists and the way that it's changed over time from actually serving the bass function to sometimes... Not not really serving a bass function at all and playing more in the in kind of middle registers as a lead instrument. And I would right. say just my hearing of, of this record that although there are places where you know obviously the bass has come to the fore, that it still for the most part seems to fulfill the role of the bass as well. You know as well right. as a, a melodic yeah. or driving force, but it also fulfills that bass function. Absolutely, absolutely does. I mean, I'm thinking uh, you know uh, there's times on, on the record where the bass is is, is actually doing a uh, a conventional four-four uh, uh, timekeeping role, but I, I don't think I'm ever thinking about it that way. It, it'll come to that place organically. I'm thinking, and you know, when we're playing, the players are usually looking and hearing towards me for for both uh, oral and visual uh, changes constantly in. Uh, I think that's what happens on on my records in general. I mean, they're changing up all the time. So I don't know. I just you know, right now we're in a place where I think, in again in this last decade or so, that uh, horn players, there's you know, we haven't had a tremendous amount of uh, new harmonic knowledge since Coltrane and Ornette, let's say, and where the rhythm section. And the way rhythm sections are playing today, and I can think of numerous rhythm section players, and, and uh, it seems like that's where some, some of the innovation thrust is coming from, from the rhythm section, in, in um, not just where it's placed in the music in terms of how you're hearing it, like you say, middle register and stuff, but where, what it's actually doing and... Uh, it's really interesting to me that I, I, I do think the rhythm sections it, it, as a whole are uh, pushing the music most forward at this time. Hey, that's that's so interesting that you say that. I was uh, just having a conversation similar to this uh, with someone recently, and I can't can't remember who, but somebody on the show um, talking about that. And this particular person, I think, was talking about it as it related to um, people incorporating rhythmic elements from kind of hip-hop and other rhythmically complex pop music um, into the jazz tradition. I was thinking hmm. the same thing about drummer Tyshawn Sori. I saw him at Roulette a couple weeks ago, and, right. uh, you know, that's a, just a person who's using rhythm in a remarkably, you know, complex way, or Steve Coleman is another person maybe who's, right. who's doing that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I, I admire both those guys. I, I've played many times with Tyshawn, and... Uh, We've had a great time. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not, you know, for me, it's it's not just the influence of, of some rhythms of pop music and hip-hop music. Certainly, but, yeah. But just the freedom that the, the the bass player and the drummer especially feel in this in the music today, it's just remarkable.
I know that um, uh, at least some of this music was composed uh, thanks to a grant from Chamber Music America. Can you talk a little bit ab- about that and, and what the what the grant uh, required or what that process was like? Well, I, 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 I in the proposal I spoke about uh, what the effects of hearing the music before I became a player uh, in the 60s. I was actually didn't start uh, formally studying, and I did not much of that, but music until really 1964. And uh, before that, I had the opportunity uh, to hear almost all the greats. And then once I started music, I, I still I continued to hear them, of course. But the impact on it, to me... Uh, uh, monk and train and uh, I mean I was at the vanguard um, you know experiencing train record the the seminal one of the seminal albums of all time the uh, live at the village vanguard and stuff but the actual physical uh, feeling of hearing the music then not that it doesn't exist now but uh, it, it, you know it really impacted me and and it of course inspired me to to, to to make music my life. But uh, just recently, I had started, last year, started reflecting on it and realizing how literally right, right there uh, up front on my chest, how it had affected me so much. And I wanted to uh, just direct myself towards that feeling in writing this music. And I was lucky, to, uh, wonderful to, to, to get the support from uh, Chamber Music America. You know, it's too bad, Mario, because I was I was really liking you until you told me that you saw John Coltrane at the Village Vanguard, and now, unfortunately, I'm going to have to hate you. So we were doing so well right up right, right up to that yeah. moment. That's too bad. Well, yeah. uh, so let yeah. me ask you, you, you talked about Arc Suite being, in some ways, a, a musical uh, summary or or overview. Can you, can you expand on that a little bit? Talk more about how you uh, intentionally tried to make that the case? Well, I'm not sure I, I actually intentionally try to make it that way, but uh, I just think part of the process that we do, uh, someone had asked me just recently, uh, what, uh, why not burn out at this point, uh, uh, doing the music 45 years and so forth, and, and why not uh, somewhat of a lessening of uh, uh, thrust and, and uh, avid uh, doing it uh and you know it seems to 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 be that the more we do it hopefully the clearer our message is and you know to me the, each of my albums each time i hopefully as i say hopefully is clearer and clearer on whatever it is i am trying to say in the music uh, uh the emotion of 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 the giving and in the love and stuff and so it, it seems like the more you do it, the better you do it, and the better you do it, and the more you want to do it. So, uh, in, in in some ways, my last album's always going to be a summary of my work, I guess. But uh, this one seemed to be more so. I don't know. I think I'm I'm. These last albums have been the instrumentation has been somewhat a standard instrumentation, generally speaking, trumpets and saxophones, and piano rhythm section. Uh, and I think I'm going to, you know, probably write the same music I've been writing, or certainly expand on it. But I think I'm going to go towards writing for 
more unusual instruments, uh, have a, a different instrumentation, because uh, a trumpet and, uh, and saxophone front lead, even though I don't write it that way, as I mentioned, it's upside down, is a difficult uh, instrumentation because it's so associated with the whole jazz history. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of baggage that comes with that sound. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure is. So maybe, so in that way, I, I, th- I think maybe I'll, I will be, uh, uh, you know, try to go towards uh, using different instruments, cello and, and viola is what I'm thinking right now. In addition uh, to you, there are three other people who arranged uh, tracks on this album. Uh, Dave Ballou, who uh, plays trumpet and cornet on the album. Stephen Bernstein, uh, who plays slide trumpet on one track. And then um, Michael Mussolami, whose uh, record label uh, the album is on. And the guitarist who's been on this show before. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what, if any, uh, instruction you gave them and and why you had other people uh, contribute arrangements? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the collaboration that just ensued over the years uh, with Stephen first. Uh, he goes back the, the longest uh, for me. And, you know, we started playing together. Uh, we traveled together in different groups back in the, in the 80s. Uh, uh, me with Thomas Shape and him with uh, Spanish Fly and uh, Marcus Rojas and stuff, and we became friends, and then we started doing music together. And just the process of collaboration is really uh, central to me. Uh, it just seems to come out of uh, naturally after a few years of, of doing it together. So it started off with him uh, asking to arrange a few pieces. And, and the same thing, I've had a long history with uh, Michael and uh, and Dave less so maybe about six years but we've been playing together and um, I I it, it, it I was interested in having uh, other color come in there let's say to the music and and felt uh, felt sure about it uh, being to do this because uh, you feel the trust and you're in on. Uh, You've been collaborating, so uh, naturally the extension to the, of the trust, I think, is there. And uh, I don't, there's not really so much instructions. We just 
go over the piece as I've written it, and uh, mostly it usually speaks for itself. I might uh, mention how I feel about the music, uh, the particular piece, or if it's evoking something particular to me. But uh, and usually it works out. I must say, uh, terrifically uh, complimentary. I'd like to ask you uh, just about a couple things um, outside the, the scope of this record, and one is about photography, which we mentioned just very briefly at, at the beginning. Will you talk a little bit about what appeals to you about photography? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I'm having a re-immersion in it uh, right now, going back. But uh, the visual thing, you know, I started off painting in the 60s. I, I had a studio and did a lot of painting as I was developing as a musician and had to choose between one. So, so the visual aspect has always been there, painting and photography. And I've done a lot of album covers, uh, I think about 15 of the Playscape covers, um, and which have been a, really a combination of painting and, fo- and photography, photographs of parts of my painting, and then reworking them collage-like, I guess. It's always interested me. Painting is uh, one of the titles on the album, uh, the, the recent album. Silver Print refers to the whole realm of photography. Uh, and the other piece, Poles, on this album refers really, I suppose, to, to Pollock and the abstract expressionist. But I think of the two things as, uh, as so together together, especially developing back in the 60s and the 50s, even though the painting certainly started in the 40s, uh, the, the abstract painting and photography's heyday may well have been in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, but uh, it just seemed all part of the developing milieu uh, for me in, in the 50s and 60s, my developing year, early developing years, I guess. Another thing I'd like uh, to mention is um, the Litchfield Performing Arts, and uh, will you tell folks who may not be familiar about the Litchfield Jazz Festival? Yes. Uh, well, we've been going 15 years up there, um, and uh, a woman, uh, Vita Muir, has been central to it, and uh, a very inspired, artistic uh, person who actually brought great artists up in the classical field and then decided to, to turn it to jazz 15 years ago. It's uh, based up here in the northwest corner of Connecticut, and uh, we also have been one year less, 14 years, been doing a jazz camp, which has grown tremendously. We were up to about 420 students uh, for four weeks in July, and it's uh, it's become a big part of It's the only teaching I do is in July. I don't teach during the rest of the year, but... Uh, it's been a great endeavor. The festival's great, and uh, I'm fortunate to have played in it, and, and she has a wonderful, pretty good array of artists up there, and the camp is a total inspiration. Is is that uh, younger folks or students of all ages, or how does that work? Uh, well, it's essentially students from, I would say, 14, 13, 14 to 18, and uh, so they're high school and early college years, and uh most go to a big portion of them go to on to the new school or uh, Berkeley uh, or the New England Conservatory, and then go on. A lot of our people who came through the camp have toured with um, uh, Lucas Curtis, for instance, a bass player, a student of mine, toured with Pat Metheny and Gary Burton stuff, and then they come back to be associate f- faculty. So it's been a really interesting fourteen years uh, uh, to see this happen. Very inspiring to me. 
Uh, Mario, uh, this interview uh, will be coming out uh, right at the same time that the album does. Are there some uh, performance opportunities that you'd like to mention uh, for folks to check uh, There out? are. Uh, the second week of December, uh, on December 10th, I'm going to be at a terrific uh, uh, new music space in New Haven called Firehouse 12. Um, and on the 11th at the Cornelia Street, which has become terrific venue for the music in, in this more uh, where there's not as many uh, places, I think, to do it in New York as there were. And then on the 12th on Sunday, uh, December 12th, we'll be in Philadelphia at the International House. And will that be uh, the band from this record? Yes, it will, uh, except Marty Ehrlich will be substituting for uh, Jimmy Green. Well, well, that's okay, too. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll take that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. My guest is uh, composer and bassist Mario Pavone, and uh, he's got a fantastic new album on Playscape Records um, called Arc Suite T-Pi T-Po. And uh, Mario, it's been just a, a real pleasure to talk to you. I thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Well, it's been a pleasure for me. Thank you for allowing me to to, to give my thoughts on it. I really enjoyed it. That's music from Mario Pavone and his band Orange Double Tenor, the new album Arc Suite, Tipai Tipo on Playscape Recordings. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll find Amazon links to purchase the music you hear on the show, and you'll also find membership levels. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, in order for the Jazz Session to continue, it needs to become a, uh, a revenue-generating operation. I just can't keep doing it for free. So if you would become a member uh, for as little as $10 a month, uh, there's also a yearly membership options uh, that start at $110 a year. You'll find all that at thejazzsession.com 
slash join, or you can always, of course, just go to thejazzsession.com, and there are a couple places you can click uh, to learn more about becoming a member. Please do that, and thank you very much. Speaking of people to thank, my thanks to the Respect Sextet for the Jazz Session theme. Uh, They have a new album called Farcical Built for Six, which is at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo. Thank you so much for listening. Go out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.